Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 3 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences should cover 1840 to 1850. <sighs> How did we do all this before, Catherine? You mean before or after you arrived in the archives? So thankful I'm wearing a corset, else my sides would split from laughter. Quite. <sighs> Hard to believe we may do without our plucky intern. Still, we must soldier on. I suppose, but I underestimated how much stuff we have. And we could use Catherine's insight as well. You have a file from Canada, do you? One of Brandon's cases. It would be lovely if our intern were here. Why? Between references to a toque and beaver tail pastry, Brandon's notes have a certain flavour to them. One of back bacon. How did you know that? Call it an educated guess, eh? Under Oak Island. Written and read by K.T. Brisky. Featuring the voices of Gavin Douglas, Blythe Haynes. December 1894. Nova Scotia, Canada. Thirty feet below ground, Agent Brandon Hill shivered as wind screamed about the top of the money pit. At the surface, it had cut through his overcoat as cleanly as one of his favored knives, so he'd been grateful to descend a narrow ladder into the shaft. The walls of the money pit towered over him. Marks from previous digs scored the walls to either side while a wide pipe plunged through a hole in the platform into the heart of the pit. The hiss of steam and chugging of machinery never stopped. Nor did the wind. Although Brandon longed to stamp his feet, coax some blood back into his toes, he resisted the urge. The oaken platform on which he stood creaked ominously with every movement. If it gave way... A long fall awaited him, at least another hundred feet before he hit the limits of the current excavation. Blowing on his peeling fingertips, Brandon stealthily consulted his case notes. Oak Island Money Pit. Shaft discovered by three boys, 1795. Rumored to hold pirate treasure. All excavations to date foiled by complex system of flood tunnels linked to Island's Cove. Agent Hill? Brandon startled as a lanky, windswept man leaped from the ladder above him, landing lightly on the platform. His bright blue eyes were hard, like shards of ice set in a cliff face. Brandon gripped the man's hand and nodded sharply. James Clark, I presume? 
The man's grasp tightened. The same. Founder and director of the Oak Island Consortium. Brandon glanced at the workers checking the piping on the platform above. Lowering his voice, he said, Mr. Clark, while I understand the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences has been communicating with you, discretion remains paramount. To your men, I am nothing more than a health and safety inspector. Quite coincidentally, Brandon bent to adjust his woolen socks, exposing the throwing knives strapped to his ankles. Then he straightened, eyeing Clark coolly. You follow? Clark gulped. Of course. And my partner as well when they get here. Pacing a few steps, Brandon strained to see deeper into the pit. Were you given the other agent's name? Telegraph only mentioned you. Brandon frowned. Didn't they send anyone? No, your ministry did not, but mine did. A young woman dropped from the ladder with her dark hair tied back and a cap set at a rakish angle. She had a satchel slung over her shoulder, a pistol at her hip, and a meticulously clean pair of trousers. She winked and curtsied. Agent Anouk Tremblay, le ministère officiel de carence sans explication. You have got to be kidding. He seethed inwardly. Out of habit and stubborn professionalism, Brandon doffed his toque. Agent Brandon Hill, Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, Ontario Division. However, I must ask, why did they send you and not an agent from Halifax? I hardly think this concerns the Quebec office. Okay, and why did they send you? Most agents are assigned as necessary. We are a parallel organization, eh? And here, my superiors have said, it is necessary to have un présence québécois. Indeed. Clark's face had tightened. Now, if I might explain our circumstances? Brandon set his toque back on his head, grateful to protect his ears from the chill and incessant thundering of machinery. Please. What's buried under Oak Island? Clark asked, gesturing to the darkness below. It's been a century, and hell if anyone knows. The consortium has currently excavated to a depth of 155 feet. After a glance to Brandon, Tremblay leaned out over the platform. Rolling his eyes, Brandon leaned out as well, just a few inches further than her. Beneath them, a series of platforms jutted from the shaft walls at regular intervals. Brandon counted five before the gloom obscured the money pit's inner workings. Farther than anyone else. There are tunnels, no, connecting the shaft to the ocean? No one else has kept the pit from flooding. What is your method? Like a proud father, Clark clapped the gleaming pipe. Technology and dedication, Agent Tremblay. We blocked the flood tunnels with dynamite blasting. The Douglas Haynes pump handles any water that sneaks through. Without that, damned sea would flow in as fast as we could pump it out. A sudden chill rippled over Brandon. He shook his head, but the feeling had gone as suddenly as it arrived. Tunnels? How many? Tremblay's smile broadened, and she seemed to take special pleasure in explaining, as though he were a small child. 
at least two. Another to Smithkova as well. The dossier given by my minister was quite thorough. Oak Island, the entire island, bien sûr, is a complex hydrological system designed to keep the pit perpetually flooded upon triggering a certain, oh, how you say, hmm. a booby trap. Clark beckoned them down another ladder. The wind died away, but the chill in Brandon's chest squeezed harder. At 155 feet, Clark shouted over the pump's roar, we have come across an iron plate. Looks like there's a chamber beneath. My men are cutting an entryway as we speak, but your ministry... <clears throat> Tremblay coughed. Ministries, Clark corrected himself, will not allow further exploration until it's been cleared by the appropriate authorities. Well... Brandon focused on finding the next rung. A strange yearning drove him on, almost like a hunger he couldn't quite sate. The ministry does not take these assignments lightly. Are you insinuating, monsieur, le ministère would take this sort of thing lightly? Madam, he began. Remember, remember tread, tread carefully. carefully. I was merely stating facts. If, however, you intend to make every statement out of my mouth an international incident, this will be a laborious partnership for both of us. Relax. Interprovincial. He shook his head. So this is how it was going to be. Another ten feet, another platform. When they reached it, Brandon turned to Tremblay, the pressure in his chest threatening to crack his ribs. Actually, Agent Tremblay, I had wondered if you would prefer to conduct investigations on the surface. And what would I do there? Unearthing his headlamp from his pack, Brandon shrugged. Interviewing the work crews, perhaps, or coordinating dispatches between our organizations. I can handle myself quite well. Agent Il, I have explored the Waitomo Caves in Nouvelle-Zélande from end to end. I can handle myself well also. Yes, but I have cold weather experience. Even as he spoke, his breath hung in the air, and the Douglas Haynes pump shimmered with ice. I've trekked across the Russian tundra. And during four years, I lived in Inukjok, in the most north of my province. Clark was shifting uncomfortably. Brandon gritted his teeth. Three words. Monkey knife fights. Two. Narwhal fencing. Dear, Dear Lord. Lord. Brandon thought. I may I have found, found the next, next Mrs. Mrs. Brandon Hill. Fighting to keep his expression cool and detached, Brandon buckled the headlamp to his hat and flicked a switch. There was a hiss of steam, a shifting of gears, and then a weak beam of light pooled on the shaft's wall. Satisfied, he switched it back off and gave a curt nod to Tremblay. Clark, looking relieved as the two agents descended the next ladder, said, the flood tunnels intersect the main shaft at 115 and 135 feet. Should the Douglas Haynes pump fail, I have one piece of advice. Get out. He raised an eyebrow at them both. Shall we? Tremblay had just finished attaching her own headlamp. The band wound about her head, pushing her hair up. I am prepared. 
And you, Agent Dill? Ladies first. It became a rhythm. Climb down the ladder, scamper across the platform, ducking around the pipe that followed them like a faithful friend. Find the next ladder. Climb down. If not for the deepening cold, Brandon might have almost become numb to it. And yet, the space between his shoulder blades prickled. He found himself climbing faster, even when he tried for caution. A horrible screeching accompanied the last few ladders. Voices echoed in the darkness below, interweaving with a rhythmic hissing. Brandon glanced down. Shadows moved across the shaft's walls, monstrous and twisted in the glow of lanterns. A half-dozen men clustered around a mechanized saw. Brandon had never seen such wicked serrations. Pistons pumped and steam curled upwards as it rose and fell. The men paid no attention to either their director or the agents until the machine ground to a halt. Then, the saw's operator stepped back, panting. Health and safety? Tremblay elbowed Brandon aside. Anouk Tremblay. Rolling his eyes, Brandon forced a smile and said, Brandon Hill. Then, with a quick glance to Tremblay, I'm the senior inspector. What do you have for us? Simon Shoy, the man said, shaking Brandon's hand and breezing past Tremblay as if she were a wisp of exhaust. Good timing. We've widened this all nice and neat for you. Plumbed it earlier, too. It only goes about five feet down. But, Mr. Clark, we saw it again, sir, etched into the iron. That same figure. A skeleton one. Brandon turned sharply. What's this, Mr. Clark? Clark's eyes narrowed. Nothing of importance. If it wasn't important, Brandon said, motioning to Tremblay, we wouldn't be here. Clark sighed. Irregularities in the rock, dim lighting, pranks, nervousness at being so far underground. Some of the men claimed to see an image resembling a skeleton. Preposterous, of course. He nodded at his workers. Where is this figure, then? Shaw rubbed the back of his neck. Had to cut through it, sir, to break through the plate. He pointed to some faint lines in the iron floor. If Brandon squinted, they might have resembled something... vaguely... human. There's a bit left. There we are. Clark smiled. Nothing of consequence. Uh, Mr. Clark? Shaw's fingers drummed over the steam-powered drill's casing. Will the young lady be all right down there? Despite himself, Brandon grinned. Tremblay shot the foreman a glare that somehow evoked every French oath that Brandon had ever heard. Bien sûr. As the men lowered a ladder into the hole, she slipped in front of Brandon again. Ladies first, no? As Brandon trailed after his counterpart, his foot slipped and he nearly fell. Her voice hissed beneath him. Since it was the tabernacle! You English agents, are you all so clumsy? 
Even in his heavy gloves, his fingertips stung, painfully pinched. A shrill desperation frayed his nerves. He needed to get to the bottom of the money pit. More than anything, he needed to. Brandon paused, waiting for his breathing to calm. He leaned his forehead against the rung. Get a hold of yourself, man. You know better than to panic. The moment his feet touched solid ground, he switched on his headlamp. Lantern shone from both agents, casting orange light across the floor. Agent Tremblay! Brendan knelt, inspecting it. This feels like cement. It is cement. Were the shadows moving around her? Get, Get a, a grip, grip, man. There is only the two of you here. here. You, you are, are stronger than this. You realize, I hope, what this means. He remained silent, keeping his own breath slow and even. The treasure hunters, they all say this is a pirate ord. I say this is absurd. The hydrological system beneath the island, the skeleton image, the cement. It is not the hand of Captain Kidd. Besides, you know the pirate saying, uh, what is it, dead men... Dead men tell no tales. Oui. Good saying, bad threat. People always talk agent ill. Except here. Here, no one raises his hand to say, this brilliant, it is mine, I did it. What could be so great, so terrible, that no one will lay claim to hiding it? The lost works of Shakespeare? If one is a passionate patron of the arts with access to mining resources, possibly. The Ark of the Covenant. Mon dieu. A quick snap of his fingers, and then... Uh, I have it. The secret recipes of Adolphe Dugleray. To his surprise, she snorted. <laughs> Perhaps. I hope so. Are you all right? Clark's shout echoed around them. Both agents startled. Brandon squinted upwards. The director's silhouette was just visible against the lamplight. We're fine. I'll be down in a moment, Clark called. But, Le Minister, they have said it is only Agent Hill and myself. She's right, Mr. Clark. Strictly business of the ministry. No sooner had Brandon spoken than Tremblay elbowed him. Ministries. <laughs> Nonsense, Clark said, descending. I've spent years researching Oak Island. It is my machinery at stake. My men. His eyes gleamed with a hungry light. And my money. Uneasily, Brandon resumed his investigation of the cement floor. Blood pounded in his temples. Clark stood stock still watching the agent's every movement without blinking. I say, Clark, mind giving us some space to work? Of course, Clark murmured. His thin lips split into a smile. My apologies. Brandon's fingertips were so numb that when they brushed over wood, it took him a moment to realize. Training his headlamp on the spot, he uncovered a trap door, complete with iron ring, Agent Tremblay! She was at his side instantly, her breath steaming in the frigid chamber. Très bien. 
Does it open? I think so. A little stiff, but... Yes! Another chamber opened beneath them. Brandon settled himself well back from the edge and jammed his hands up under his arms. Layers upon layers. Whole damn islands, a Russian stacking doll. Clark crept to the trapdoor's edge and peered into the darkness. Imagine the treasure, he said. Imagine the riches that warrant such protection. A cold gust caressed Brandon's cheek. His eyes shot wide open, and he scrambled backwards. That's... He gave a start. His lips were chapped. That's air! Fresh air! He shook his head. He had seen plenty in his time with the Ministry, but this... That's impossible! Well, we shan't worry about suffocating, Clark said briskly. Agent Tremblay, have you a way down? She nodded. Even in the dimness, she looked pale, but she withdrew what looked like a handgun from her satchel. Brandon cocked his head, but she simply shrugged and aimed at the wall. There was a muffled pop as she pressed the trigger, and then a blur shot from the barrel and buried itself in the bedrock. Brandon gaped. What was that? Pneumatic rope gun. Standard in Quebec. Jealousy needled him. So far as he could tell, Ontario's R&D department had devoted the last five years to creating the perfect beaver tail pastry. He doubted the Quebec office ever had to turn to Ozum covertly for logistics. Avker. She lowered herself into the void. It is very dark. Brandon gripped the rope and began rappelling. Even as his body relaxed into the familiar motion, his heart thudded. It was dark. So dark that he could have been blind. No noise filtered from above. The isolation crushed him. So when Tremblay caught his elbow as he hit the ground, he couldn't help a surge of relief. He glanced around the chamber. The walls pressed close, cold and smooth as ice, and far too much like a tomb. The thud as Clark hit the ground after him seemed to make the whole chamber judder. Unexpected panic beat about his ribs. His hands wouldn't stop shaking. But he told himself firmly that it was only the chill. And yet, there was something else. Not quite excitement, not quite desperation. It felt like something stirred in his veins, some hunger like he'd never felt before. Agent Dale. She crouched before the walls. With a monumental effort, Brandon dragged himself over to her. As he inspected the walls more thoroughly, he discovered they were not plain as they first appeared, but marked with faded lines and rough-cut carvings. He traced his gloved finger from one to the next, and gradually, they resolved themselves into shapes. A tall, skeletal figure with jutting cheekbones and hollowed nose. It leered from the rock, withered arms spread wide. Smaller shapes ran from it, and Brandon's stomach clenched. 
he pushed back from the rock, unable to keep still. He shifted from foot to foot as coldness wrapped about him. What is this? A pirate? No. Brandon glanced up. Clark stood at the chamber's far end, facing a seemingly blank stretch of wall. His shoulders hunched as he spoke. Wishful thinking. The fantasy is of a century's worth of treasure hunters. Brandon tugged his toque lower. Then what's buried under Oak Island? What's buried under Oak Island? (laughs) Clark's laughter raised the hairs on Brandon's neck. Nor did it stop. It rose, higher and higher, echoing off the chamber's low ceiling. What's buried under Oak Island? What merits the transformation of a godforsaken rock into the most complex feat of hydrological engineering ever seen? What secret was great enough to be taken to the grave? Brandon, he is mad? No, Mademoiselle Tremblay. Clark spun around. Icicles glittered on his beard and mustache. I am... hungry. Brandon rummaged in his pack. Tea biscuit? Clark's laughter thinned sharpening to almost a screech as he thrust his hand to an inset section of wall and shouted, What's buried under Oak Island? The crunch of stone on stone made Brandon's knees buckle. He clapped his hands to his ears as the section of wall slid to one side. Bitter winds rushed out and his heart seemed to shrivel in his chest. Sharpness stung his lips. Ice crystals. And then, from the darkness, it stepped forward. It was the skeleton. It was winter made bone. It was famine. A gaunt creature stretched and cracked its neck, joints popping like pistol shots. Ribs sliced through its yellowing skin, and its eyes were set so far back in its emaciated face that Brandon could scarcely see them. Scraggly hair whipped behind it, and its lipless mouth parted to reveal curved, pointed teeth. It took another step forward, and ice spread along the stones. Wendigo. Cannibal spirit. Yes. Clark spread his arms triumphantly. The incarnation of death by winter and famine. The cold beast feared across our country, haunting a thousand fireside yarns. But we all need hunger, my friends. Hunger to achieve. Hunger to persevere. Hunger to succeed. Imagine what we could do. What the Empire could do. If we harnessed the Wendigo's hunger. Tremblay huddled close to Brandon. He didn't entirely mind. It's so cold. Brandon struggled to rise. Failed. His knee slammed into the stone. It went dead as numbness cracked along his limbs. The Wendigo fixed him in its stare, and Brandon felt himself lean forward, 
felt a delicious hunger wrap around his soul. He sensed what he could do if this creature fueled him. The chill penetrated deeper into his bones, and Brandon discovered a new drive that edged him ever closer to the monster. Tremblay yanked him back and lifted his scarf. Her hands were warm on his neck, and Brandon's mind cleared. Clark, you've heard the stories from the Innu, the Cree, the Ojibwe. You can't harness it. The Wendigo beckoned Clark with stick-like fingers. Clark stumbled forward, beaming. With numb hands, Brandon rested his throwing knives free. Beside him, Tremblay readied her pistol. Trapped for centuries. The answer to the unsolvable riddle. What's buried under Oak Island? Clark crowed, the Wendigo stretching its thin limbs towards him. It is what will carry us, the Canadian Empire, through the new century. After so many years spent researching, delving into unspeakable myths, building my consortium, such great things we shall do, Wendigo, for my hunger matches yours. The Wendigo trailed its splitting fingernail down Clark's cheek. Nodding with great glee and vigor, lost in some kind of rapturous ecstasy, the director's grin broadened just before it contorted, and Clark's raspy laughter turned to a wild, chilling screech of agony. As Brandon and Tremblay watched, horrified, Clark's flesh withered. He jerked and twisted in place, but the Wendigo held him fast. Clark's lips peeled away, exposing whitened gums and elongated teeth. His eyes blazed, retracted into his skull, and clumps of his hair fell to the ground. When he faced the agents, his hip bone protruded like knives, and his breastbone poked like a washboard through his skin. Tremblay fired off several shots in quick succession. The thing that had once been Clark reeled, but didn't fall. Brandon did not bother with his own knives. He knew full well that if bullets did not stop Clark... His hand felt inside his coat pocket and earned him a shout of victory. Tremblay, give me your case notes. There is nothing concerning Wendigo. Give them to me anyway. She complied, and Brandon withdrew a match from his pocket. Twisting the papers into tight coils, he glanced to Tremblay. These won't last long. When I say run, we move. What are you- He struck the match on the floor and lit the papers. At the sight of flame, both Wendigo leaped back, and a terrible keening filled the chamber. Run! Brandon ran faster than he ever had, his breath burning in his lungs. The darkness raged, wind shrieked, tore at their clothes, and the oncoming footfalls of the Wendigo closing in on them grew louder. Tremblay and Brandon reached the taut rope, their bodies warmed by the excitement and thrill of the chase, but he glanced deep into her eyes, tasted her fear bitter in his mouth. They didn't have enough strength enough time to climb. What do we do now? She asked, clutching the cable. Brandon forced his own hand around the rope, pulled the Quebecois agent into him, 
and, on feeling her embrace, freed one of his knives from his boot. We take off, eh? He said, slicing the rope underneath them. Surrendering to physics, to the inert strength waiting in the tension between the top of the chamber and where the pneumatic gun secured their cable, Brandon and Tremblay were hoisted out of reach of the charging Wendigo, the darkness devouring them and spitting them onto the iron plate where Shaw and his crew had remained stationed. Their voices went suddenly silent as the agents impacted hard into the metal underfoot. The silence did not last longer than needed. Get away! Flood! The men needed no further urging. They clambered up the ladders, Brandon and Tremblay on their heels. When they reached the first flood tunnel, Tremblay drew another pistol and aimed at the Douglas Haynes pump. Shaw swore, What are you doing, eh? She didn't answer, but fired at the pipe until it burst. The shaft trembled. A thunderous roar boomed from the tunnel mouth, and the jumble of rocks blocking it quaked. Tongues of water poked through, and then the pent-up force erupted into the money pit. Spray soaked Brandon, and he laughed wildly. The trap was reset. They were safe. If they didn't drown. Tremors rippled along his legs. At the second tunnel, Tremblay shot again. And again, the seas burst free. Brandon lost track of feet and platforms, desperate only to reach the surface and escape the coldness and hunger beneath Oak Island. Workers on the upper platforms abandoned their tasks, and the ladder swayed with the excess weight. Brandon's gut roiled with nausea, but he kept grimly on, until he hauled himself onto snow-dusted mud and grass. Trembling, he abandoned the pit, his gait unsteady. Amid the chaos and shouting, Tremblay caught him, her face covered in dirt. Brandon, the Wendigo! Still down there. It's, it's all right, Tremblay. She raised an eyebrow. Anouk. Before Brandon could decide how he felt about first-name bases, she grabbed his hand. He made a small noise of protest, but she shushed him and dragged him into the forest. Wind and waves slowly replaced the screams and groaning of metal. Under the cover of oaks, Anouk finally faced him. Her face was composed, but she hesitated before speaking. The legends say... If starved long enough, some people become when to go to survive. The image of Clark's skin flaying away turned Brandon's stomach. He shuddered. Very dark choice. I wonder if it is a choice. A nuke was quiet a moment. There was another piece to the dossier provided by Moose. Oh? There is a curse. <laughs> Ignoring his snort, she continued... Oak Island will not reveal its secret until seven have died and the last oak tree falls. Brandon ran cold. Staring him dead in the face, Anouk said, In 1861, a boiler burst in the pit. It killed one man. But Clark isn't really dead, is he? So that's only one death in a century. 
He tried to inject some confidence into his voice, but he still felt too old, too chilled. They'll be down there a long time. Anouk rubbed her arms, gazing at the groves of oaks around them. The trees cannot all be cut, surely? I hope not. What could be so great, so terrible? Anouk shivered. I must contact Le Minister. One of her small hands cupped his face, and then she buttoned her collar and gave him a business-like nod. I trust we will meet again, Brandon. She left him sitting on an oak stump. The Douglas Haynes pump had fallen silent, and only clacking branches filled the emptiness. The same thoughts chased themselves through Brandon's mind, over and over. Until seven have died, and the last oak tree falls. He stood, suddenly, and jammed his hands in his pockets. Seven deaths to unleash that hunger. He shuddered and whispered, God help the eighth. March. Present day. Nova Scotia, Canada. Currently, exploration of the Oak Island Money Pit has claimed six lives. One oak tree remains. Born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Katie Brisky has always been a writer at heart. Some of her earliest memories include pounding out stories on her father's, then very cool, now very obsolete, computer. Since then, she has written both prose and plays. Her playwriting includes Key of D Minor, Dracula, the libretto for East of the Sun and West of the Moon, a children's opera, and various scenes and monologues for Black Creek Pioneer Village, Toronto. Her first novel, Hapex, was published by Dragon Moon Press. It is also available as a free podcast. Katie is currently enrolled in the Stone Coast Masters of Fine Arts program at University of Southern Maine. She is also working an internship at Imagine That Studios and is a freelance editor at One Stop Writer Shop. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Ministry Protocol or to pre-order Dawn's Early Light, coming in March 2014. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.